listening to Chill Spot Radio. Mental health, especially amongst people of color, has long been stigmatized, inadvertently keeping our people from accessing and reaching mental well-being. This podcast aims to transform stigma into strength. Your hosts work in the mental health field, bearing in their experience within the mental health profession. We thank you for your time in this brave space. Welcome to Chill Spot Radio. Uh, this is Jared, your host and co-host. Dr. Lipscomb, welcome back, everyone. And this is episode 15. Um, we have with us today Terrence Stewart, who is a uh, MSW or CSUN MSW alum, uh, coming to speak to us uh, about his experience in the program, as well as what life has been like since the uh, he graduated in the pandemic. Uh, thank you for joining us, Terrence. Before the pandemic, congratulations. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you guys for having me. For sure, for sure. Appreciate it. It's been it's an honor. It's an honor. Um, tell us uh, uh, a little bit about your experience uh, at, in the MSW program at Northridge, uh, when you started, when you graduated, mm-hmm. um, a little bit of yeah, background about yourself. For sure. Um, so there, there was, a, I guess, a pivotal point I get in my life, I guess I'll say, um, of me deciding if I wanted to go back to school or not. Um, I was working at a, a boys' placement called Rancho San Antonio. I was working there for uh, a little while. I was really like right down the street, down Plummer on, uh, uh, from CSUN. Uh, so I was working there for a little while and I was just trying to decide whether or not I wanted to go back to school or if I did not want to go back to school. Because fr- quite frankly, I do not like going to school. I don't like school. School is not my thing. Um, but I knew that, um, you know, the, there was, there was going to be an opportunity for me to serve more people if I did go back to school and have a, have a bigger impact if I did. Um, so I talked to a few folks while uh, where I was working at. Um, a lot of them was already in the program, the CSUN program. Um, a lot of them were like MFTs. A lot of other people, um, you know, were uh, going to Phillips Graduate School, which I believe is still down um, down Plummer as well too. So a lot, of, I was just surrounded by a lot of folks going back to school. Um, so in 20, 2014, I started applying to uh, to schools. I did go to CSUN as undergrad as, as an undergrad as well too. So I was very familiar with the campus, and I was also familiar with um, you know the the neighboring um, cities. So like Northridge, I lived all all around the valley <laughs> while I was. I think every city I probably lived in there in the valley. Um, but um, I chose the MSW program. CSUN primarily um, was it just felt a little bit more comfortable for me to thrive in you know what I mean um there was a couple of people that I knew that I was working that was in the program like I was saying before um there was a gentleman by the name of Frank um he's the one that um he was a campus supervisor there he had sat me down and kind of gave me up on a bunch of things um he was uh head of social services at Mission Community Hospital which is in Panorama City uh, I believe now he's like he was a uh, he's he's kind of a little bit higher up in in the directory uh the director position now, but um, he really took me under his wing and kind of just showed me everything. He, he even allowed me to shadow him at work, which is pretty dope. Um, he's another black male as well too. Um, so just seeing him and like seeing how he moved, how he was very charismatic, how he, you know, interacted with people, how he was also well-respected as well too. Um, so I was like, you know, it's a no brainer to go to CSUN. If he went to CSUN, <laughs> that's where I'm about to go. I'm about to go to CSUN as well too. Um, so, uh, I decided to go 
particularly again for my MSW because uh, well, that's the reason why I went to Northeast, but the MSW program um, because I was just like, I, you know, I'm not sure exactly. Again, I don't know what I want to do, but I also don't want to be limited to what I do. So with the MSW, I've seen people, you know, be directors. I've seen people like do therapy. I've seen people be program heads. I've seen just a bunch of different people in different positions with the MSW. So I was like, you know what, since I'm not too sure exactly what I want to do, this would be probably the right route. I want to, uh, how I want to help people, um, whether it's in the micro, macro or meso uh, capacity. So um, going to school, um, I did, I got, I, I started in 2015, um, and yeah, that was a journey. <laughs> that was a journey in itself. Um, so my experience, even just, uh, just being at Northridge, even though I was familiar with the campus, um, I think I was kind of dumbfounded in, uh, not knowing that I'm in a graduate program, <laughs> I'm not doing undergrad. Um, so that in itself was, uh, you know, was very challenging. Um, I would say a lot of people, particularly in my cohort, because uh, maybe some of the people that's listening or some people may resonate, um, we were doing the, um, the 318, which means the three years. So typically you're taking the classes at night, right? Um, so what that means, <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing during the day? You're working during the day. So you're working and then you're going to school. And then there's this little sprinkle on top called an internship that you have to do, right? <laughs> so with all that, I think it was 18, 20, I'm not sure what it is now, but I think it was like 20 hours you have to do per week on top of working full-time 40 plus hours and on top of, um, you know, going to school was most definitely, most definitely a challenge. Um, but it was a, you know, it was a, it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful experience. Um, and I'm most definitely glad that I, I chose that route for sure. There's no regrets in that at all. No regrets at all in doing yes. so. This is a perfect plug to show to our undergrad students who come through the uh, M3 program. Yeah, I, I would say too, like sometimes it may seem, it may seem very difficult when you're in it, but it's not impossible. You know, like there's people yeah. that have done it before. Like, I, and I think the, the, the biggest thing, even through going through a struggle, you're not going through it by yourself. You have your classmates, you know, like we, even to this day, like four years later, I'm really tight. I just had, I just um, met a, one, of the, one of my core classmates uh, not too long ago, I think a, a couple of days ago. Um, so you know, we were just chilling, chopping it up, uh, studying as well, too. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it seems like a lot, but it's not impossible. And I will say uh, the reward is most definitely worth it. And if I had to do it again, I most definitely would. Most definitely would. I'm glad you're, you're touching on this because I think it's helpful for those listening that are coming into or thinking about going back to um, graduate school or program. What would you say, in addition to the support from your cohort, what were the things that you did that helped you be successful in the program? Um, that's a good question. I did many things. <laughs> I did many, many things. Um, I think uh, I, I couldn't say it's one thing. I remember during grad school, I, um, I was very rigid, meaning like I was very like, okay, I need to get things done. But I was also um, the type of person, again, I'm not too studious. Like, I don't like to go to school like that. Um, so I think for me, just having a balance between like, you know, still enjoying my life while I'm in grad school, uh, which, you know, back then, obviously, it's going to be a lot harder, right? Um, if you're in grad school to, to enjoy your life, meaning like spending time with friends, making time for your family, 
um, you know, having that intentional time. My intentional time was usually on Sundays. Um, and that's still to this day, like usually Sunday is a day where, you know, I might do a little bit of work, but, I, you know, I need to practice my self-care. And I, um, I'm, I also remember, you know, even the, the instructors and professors, and even I know Dr. Lipscomb as well, too, was you was um, just telling people to take care of themselves. And, you know, in the time, it's like, how are we supposed to take care of ourselves when we got all this stuff going on? And, you know, we have this work and we have this this uh, project we have to do, then we have to do this and we have to do, do that. And a lot of people are commuting and, you know, times don't really work for meeting up with folks. But, um, but yeah, that was one thing I just had to really learn is, uh, you know, taking care of yourself uh, in a different capacity as well too. So taking care of myself, me, Terrence taking care of myself as a graduate, graduate student isn't the same as Terrence taking care of himself while I'm not in school, right? So it may not be like, you know, going out every weekend or it may not be like, you know, uh, partying or whatever it is, um, but it can be as simple, simply as like meditating. I remember meditating was just super big for me in, in grad school. And that's something I never, <laughs> I never really did at all. Um, and then I, I know uh, that was one point too, like I started going th to therapy myself in, uh, in grad school because I know the first year was probably the roughest year because, you know, it's a, it's an adjustment. It's something that you have to uh, kind of manage and maintain. Um, going to work wasn't an issue, um, but like going to work and school and internship, you know, it's a lot different. So, you know, that was something that um, one of the things that was introduced to me just in my grad, grad program is like utilizing like therapy as a as an outlet, you know. Um, so that was so that was part of part of how I took care of myself um, while I was while I was in grad school. Nice. What would you say, um, it, if any, um, was the hardest part about being a, uh, a black male in the program? Uh, the hardest part is the loneliness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The loneliness. Um, I most definitely, uh, you know, there was, I was the only black, I was the only black male in our cohort. Um, I believe there was another black male in the in the day program that I was that I met, but uh, we wasn't you know we wasn't we don't we only saw each other really at graduation. Um, so yeah, I think the hardest the hardest part was just like you know when I'm pretty sure you guys know you know especially the MSW program, it's really um, it's really innovative meaning. You know, there's a lot, anything that's really going on in the world, especially as social workers, you have to be aware of and, you know, you have to adapt to and you have to, you know, make sure you're understanding what's going on and how that impacts the people you serve, but also how it impacts yourself. Um, I think one of the things, um, you know, sometimes you have to be like that voice, you know, that, that was one thing I had to kind of understand is like, you know, like if something happened, I know those many, um, many a times where you know the police was killing black men while, while I was in the program and you know that was something where you know I couldn't stay silent on um and you know I, I'm, I'm pleased to say like I was supported in like my opinions and what I said and like um, how I felt about it as well too um so I think just the challenging part is just not having somebody who like a hundred percent can relate with you you know and a hundred percent um get where you're coming from um, 
but it's also too, um, looking back at it, it's also like a learning experience for me, but also for other people as well too, you know, because many of these things that happen to black men and black women um, throughout our society, you know, a lot of people don't have that person or somebody they can actually gravitate to or they know that can share their opinion and how they feel about the situation. You know what I mean? Um, I remember there was one point and Dr. Lipscomb, I'm not sure if you remember this or not, um, but Dr. Lipscomb, he actually reached out to all the black males um, during one of those shootings. And I, I, I distinctly remember that. And uh, I really appreciate that for sure, because, you know, when it, when those things happen, it's kind of like, like, you know, it's like, man, it's, you know, a lot of times for me, I see myself in those, in those folks and those individuals, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, I remember a couple of times even crying, like the morning of, you know, I'm just like, man, like, what the, what am I doing? Like, you know, is, it, is that going to happen to me? And, you know, you just kind of get this, um, you know, that feeling, obviously, like, you know, am I safe in this world? Am I safe in this country? Am I safe if I go outside? Right. Because the people who look like me, um and you know have similar interests are you know being killed for no for no reason so that was one thing um i appreciate dr lipscomb for you know for you doing that um and reaching out to us um just to like create that space you know because um that space wasn't always you know always created for us so it was it was really good and comforting to have you especially like you know as a as a professor um be in that position to be able to um comfort us in that in that time Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I do remember that. And uh, I remember leading up to that, I, that it was heavy on my heart. And I said, I need to do something. Um, even though I did not teach all of the black males um, that were in a program, I taught many of them, but not all of them. And so I was very intentional about reaching out to all the black males in, in, in the program. And I think at that time we had um, about seven, seven, eight black males. Um, and our numbers have decreased since then. Mm. It has, I mean, I mean, we have gone, you, you were saying you were the only one black male in, in your cohort. We went from having seven to eight black males back when you were in the program in, in 2018 to no black males, mm. to zero across all programs online, full-time, part-time, um, stateside, three-year, um, two-year program. And so this kind of segue, segue into my, my next question for you around the obvious um, lack of Black males uh, represented in social work in general, but more specifically to, to the program, uh, MSW program in general across the board. And so I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on what you think needs to be done um, as we look at trying to be more intentional in getting Black males to uh, apply to the program and then, of course, getting accepted into the program, but then also into the social work profession in general. So yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts about that now that you've been out for a while. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, I think one of the things that comes to mind for me as I'm thinking about, like, what brought me into, you know, into the, the program was just like seeing somebody who looked like me and like actually seeing what they do. You know what I mean? Um, the visibility um, is very, it's very small. You know what I mean? There's not a lot of people, even at my, even, you know, there's, and think about our clinic, uh, Augustus Hawkins is in spa six. For you guys, for you guys don't, don't know the, the spas in the LA um, is literally Watts Compton area, right? So we're predominantly, um, 
Hispanic and black communities in our, in our, in our, uh, who we, who we serve. Now, ironically, um, I'm the only black male in our program as a therapist, you know what I mean? Um, so that kind of just goes to show even, you know, in the, in those spaces where we're predominantly present as a population, the people who's serving the, um, the population doesn't reflect the population, you know what I mean? So, and I'm going, I'm going back to what you were asked, asking the saying earlier is, you know, what, what needs to be done? You know, I feel like, you know, look, I think for me, I do all I can as far as like, if I see a black male and like, they're like trying to decide what to do, what the person did for me, I do for them, you know? I think I'm successful since I graduated to get two people into a program. <laughs> Unfortunately, it wasn't CSUN, um, but I was able to get, you know, encouraging them to get their MSW um, at other schools. So I just really feel like, you know, us, even us being in these positions, um, like just really reaching out to those folks and reaching out to the people that we, that we see that can be an asset to the, to the, to the field, you know? Um, I think it's, it's uh, assumed responsibility that we have to take. Um, I mean, we can go into like, you know, going into like high schools and like going into like things of that nature. But I just think like for us, you know, just our, us already having our degrees and us already being in, you know, professors, program managers, therapists, I think we're the ones that's gonna have to um, change that, right? Um, because we're the models and like, you know, we, whether we believe it or not, there's people that do look up to us and, you know, people that do um, see what we're doing, but I feel like we will have to be the ones to change that. I don't think we, I don't think we should expect or anticipate like, um, you know, an invitation for other people to, to do that, if that makes sense. That part. Absolutely. That's real. You know, what you're touching on about representation and modeling is the reason why I moved into a, a full-time teaching position. Mm -hmm. uh, right. Because I, what I would hear from students over the years when I was part-time, it was like, hey, how come you're not teaching more classes? We need to see you more here. And I was like, oh. I always chalked it up to, as that was for them, mm -hmm. meaning that was for white people. That was for white older males to be professors and white women to be professors. You know, that wasn't my space because I never saw it, mo saw it modeled for me in my undergrad and in, in, in grad. Uh, I saw some of it in, in graduate school, but not, not black males like um, that I could see myself in. And so after hearing that for so many years and seeing a void, right? Simultaneously, I was like, you know what? I do need to move this way because representation does matter. And now what I'm gonna be doing this coming fall, in addition to teaching an MSW program, I'll be teaching an undergrad Africana studies class for okay. the first time for that very reason, right? Absolutely. To have representation at the undergraduate level where they're seeing black male, not only just a black male, black male uh, social worker, mm -hmm. educator, clinician, et cetera, again, to get out there because one of the things I've said before and Jared has heard me say this is that I feel like social work is his best kept secret. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, like right, you, right, right. you have to hear from someone to yeah. know about it, to know yeah. it, there's yeah. even a degree out there. There's not a lot of marketing, advertising, et cetera, about what you can do. And then when you find out the vastness, going back to what you were saying, not wanting to be limited in what you could do, uh -huh. when you find out the vastness of what you can do with a degree, you're like, whoa, how come not more <laughs> right. Black yeah. folks know about this, right? And, right. and, and all of that. So 
I just want to uh, uh, bolster what you're putting forward around representation and modeling and how it is on us to do that, to, to ensure that rep we are representing too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, tell us what it's been like just being in this failed field as a black male. Um, you know, as soon as you graduated, uh, being in a pandemic, uh, and granted, 2020 was undoubtedly a tough year, right? Yeah. Uh, we have a couple of episodes that address the things that were happening in 2020 specifically. So it wasn't easy just being a black person, right? In 2020, can, additionally, can, can I can I hold on that question, Jared? Only because there's another story I want to share. Terrence, yeah. about when you were in the program, and then we'll go back back to your question, which I think is a, is a valid question. <clears throat> there was one time where I was walking in, in the hallway, going back to my office, and you were in the hallway waiting, I think, for a professor. And it was centered around your graduate project, Capstone Project. You remember <laughs> that family? Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, 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 do you want to share or you want me to, you want me to share? Uh, I want to hear your interpretation. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So, you know, one of the things that one of the things that I feel like is is a gift that I have that, that is bestowed on me is I, I can see people mm -hmm. and not not like see people in this kind of eerie type of a way, but but I feel the energy. Right. And, and I and especially when I see black men, because I study black men in grief and trauma, there's a different keenness that I have to be attuned to that. So that being said, I'm walking back to my office and, and for the, the, the listeners, uh, I've never had Terrence as a student in my class. So I've only seen him in passing, sent email, things like that. And so I see you and I felt a heaviness that was on you. Mm -hmm. And I just said something like, hey, how you doing? What's going on? Just like we would do when we would see each other, just to kind of see where you were at. And you responded, you're like, oh, man, you know, this project and, da, 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 da. and I don't know if I have to kind of chalk it up and do something else and scratch it. And I was like, don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I, I don't want you to do none of that. You, you don't you I don't think you need to do any of that. And for me. It was a moment of affirming you in a time that you needed to be affirmed. Absolutely, yeah. But it was also recognizing the power of, of other people dampering and diminishing your innovation, mm -hmm. your passion, and your drive that was your project that you wanted to do, that you already started movement in that area, significant movement. And I realized in that moment, because you shifted after that interaction, just in that short exchange, maybe five minutes we talked, if that, yeah. I realized the power in affirming people who are dreaming up and, and, and doing something that they have passion behind and not letting one naysayer detour you from that, especially if you can see the light. So I wanted to share that from, from my lens, but I would love to I appreciate that. that. I, I remember that. Just the, the two things I remember, again, I, I never had you as a professor, but, you know, we had a relationship. Um, so, like, the one thing was the email. The second thing was that interaction. And, like, it was my cap, the capstone. And my professor was just like, oh, man, I couldn't even – my classmates would say, even the ones I was hanging, hanging with um, a couple of days ago, they was like, man, you were so, you were so mad at that time. I was like, yeah, because 
I was trying to do this, that, and the third. And my professor was like, no, you need to do it this, that, and the third. I'm like, why well, I need to do this way when this way works? So I was just kind of frustrated for sure, conflicted. And, you know, this is like, you know, your capstone is was writing your graduation, right? So it's like, it's not just like a regular assignment. It's like, you know, you have to make sure you're doing doing anything correctly. And, and yeah, like that was, um, I remember distinctly you was telling me, just do you, you know, just do you. And um, I was like, you know what? Yeah. So like, you know, I kind of just did it the way I, I felt like it needed to be done. And I think, um, what was it, is it called the C Symposium? Is it called? Yeah. So um, it was for the C Symposium. And I ended up getting second place in that too. Bad. By like not even like listening. Bad, bad, <laughs> bad. And I'm not promoting not listening. Let me just be clear. <laughs> because some people, family will listen to this and they'll listen for the yeah. exception. Right. What I don't want people to take from this is not to listen. Right. To so instruction. Let, me, let me let me reframe that. I I um I you follow did. my intuition. That part. I follow my intuition. It's not like I didn't listen because I, I was, you know, you know, I just follow my intuition and you know, that, those are those things. And again, those are like, I feel like even those like C's, like I just remember that. And there's sometimes when I'm meeting with clients, like that's something I would do, you know, because I remember like how important that was for you to tell me that, you know what I mean? That. So sometimes it's like, you know what, just do you, you know, that's, that's the intervention. <laughs> that, that is the intervention, the intervention family. That is affirming. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I just follow my intuition and like, I, you know, I had the, I had the backing and support of my, of my, uh, of my colleagues too in the cohort. So, you know, I, I knew I wasn't doing anything like wrong or out, out of the ordinary, but the way I was trying to do it and deliver it, I knew it was going to be impactful, you know? And that, that, that project was really, um, it was really, um, uh, I guess you could say heart, heartfelt for me because I was doing it on a, a family or a, a friend, obviously, you know, it's pretty much like a family member that was incarcerated. So, that was where I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm about my intuition and this is how I'm delivering this, how I'm gonna say it because this is what, I feel like this is what needs to be said. Um, but yeah, I appreciate that for sure. Like to this day, for sure, I appreciate that. That's something I'll never forget for sure. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why um, I started teaching research classes too. Mm -hmm. Because far too often, students of color, specifically Black students, they're, they're um, I would hear stories like, oh, I don't think they're getting what I'm trying to focus on, or, you know, I'm trying to highlight this in the Black community, or look into this, or, you know, honor this, and and I was like, okay, I, I need to, and that's how I am as a social worker, too. I'm like, don't complain about it, do something about it. So I, I started teaching research because I wanted to make sure that not only I realized I had a unique lens and, and research to, uh, focus to bring forward, but also to empower and to show mm -hmm. other students the vastness of what you can do and be a researcher. And again, going back to my undergrad, <clears throat> with the type of research that was taught, it was all white-centered and Eurocentric. So I didn't see myself in that. And I was like, oh, you got to do that to, to be a doctor? Oh, never mind. I don't want to do that. <laughs> uh -uh. Because it, 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 I didn't see a place for me, right? I was like, oh, that doesn't make, you know, it doesn't make sense for me to do that because that doesn't feel right. And so all of that to say, I'm glad that that was an affirming experience and that you use that in, in, in your work that you do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that again. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Go ahead, Jared, because you got the great question. <laughs> see if I can even remember after that. That was amazing. Um, one thing I do appreciate uh, about uh, the Black faculty, the MSW program at CSUN, is they do have your back. 
um, straight up, which is not always the case, right? Um, but yeah, um, I think my my question was centered around twenty twenty yeah, pandemic. What, what is what is it like being a, a black social worker out there? Yeah, during you know, undoubtedly one of the toughest times because not not just you know not like we haven't experienced racism, systemic racism, and all that, but when it compounded right. with you know this pandemic and and people yeah. watching it on TV and stuff, mm-hmm. it's tough. Yeah, yeah, it's it it is a challenge for sure. I think just um, just for me as well too. You know, um, there's a lot of things I had to learn and figure out. Uh, you know, for myself as well, um, but. I think just working just even in that in that space, because at that time I was working where I'm at now, but I was also working at Mission Community Hospital. So like working in the hospital in 2020, it's like what? And then I was also doing um, some work uh, at these uh, COVID shelters as well, too, that was popping up around L.A. So a lot of, during that time, the parks were closed, but they'll, they'll turn those into like a shelter. So. Um, yeah, it was, it was it was a tough time. It most definitely was a tough time. It was a lot of a lot of moving pieces, a lot of navigating. Um, at that time, I'm not sure if you guys remember this or not, but um, there was a big, huge marketing campaign for our um, access line, the 800 number. So like it was, it was on the bus, it was on the freeways. It was also like, we just had a huge influx of people um, coming in, uh, seeking services. And I think that was a real exponential part in like, you know, mental health actually like being you know, normalized, right? Because, you know, this is something that we all had in common and something that we were all struggling with, you know, Um, from people, folks passing away, from people having the fear of passing away, um, from just, you know, a lot of, a lot of fear around like um, vaccines, a lot of, um, especially, you know, in the Black community, um, we wasn't necessarily, you know, too fond of it. So it was like, you know, are we going to get it? Are we not going to get it? Um, Are we, you know, are, you know where the testing sites at, right? Because a lot of testing sites, when they popped up, they were, um, you know, they were, <laughs> they were outside. They're they're west of the four hundred five, and south of the, you know, um, uh, west of the four hundred five and uh, north of the uh, north of the ten. You know, so they weren't really, um, they weren't really like where where where, where we're located at. Um, so there, it was a it was a, it was a lot of question marks, right? And I think it's difficult, especially. Um, in the black community when we already have a lot of different barriers going on and now you're talking about something like a health concern and now we're concerned about that you know what I mean Um, so yeah it was most definitely most definitely a challenge I think navigating and working through that it was just um, I'm just be honest I don't know how I did it um, but it it got done Um, I think we had a common goal, especially as social workers, we had that common goal. Um, we had that, you know, that we need to get this done. Um, a lot of people, you know, whether if you're working at home at that time or if you're going to the office, like, you know, we're still still putting in the work um, to, to, to make it happen. And I, I feel like that's one of those things like, you know, the CSUN MSW program does is like, it shows you how to move through adversity. You know, it shows you how to, um, deal with folks at their at their at their lowest and so, and even at their highest you know what I mean but you know in the 20, 2020 during the pandemic especially during the height of it you know there was a lot of confusion so you know just me just remembering um, you know why I'm doing this you know I'm not doing this for 
the money. I'm not doing this for, you know, a status or anything like that, or I'm doing this because, you know, this is, this is what I, I, I'm meant to do, you know what I mean? Um, so like, that's one thing I, despite what I was, you know, going through, obviously, you know, I'm not gonna say that 2020 wasn't a, a very pivotal year for me, um, but I will say like, you know, that grounded, being grounded in the work and just putting myself in the position of understanding like, okay, this is what, this is what it is, you know? Um, I remember uh, a couple folks, you know, uh, there's a lot of people that left the field you know, left, left doing therapy. I remember my therapist stopped doing therapy and, you know, I didn't really ask why, but I figured, <laughs> I figured I was like, yeah, it's wild right now. It's wild. So, um, yeah, a lot of people left the field, which kind of left us to like, you know, kind of just pick up, pick up where it left off. And it doesn't, you know, mental health doesn't stop because, you know, now I'm primarily, I know social work is like very broad, but me being in mental health specifically, you know, it doesn't stop because of, COVID, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, these, these folks that need help, like, you know, they don't be housed because if anything, the housing was, the housing was probably one of the hardest things for folks uh, to get into because of COVID, you know, these shelters, a lot of these shelters, primarily in LA County, you know, there's a lot of rules, a lot of lockdowns, you know, a lot of people weren't able to come into the clinic. So that's why they had us go to the shelters. Um, so yeah, it was, it was very, it was very challenging. I would be lying if I said it wasn't, but um, anybody who went through that experience or even like even graduating or uh, was it working in the field, you know, now that it'd be in 2022, you can kind of see like, you know, that, you know, if, if that was something we was able to manage and, and maneuver um, and obviously still feeling the impacts of, right, um, then, you know, it's, it's something that a testament in your, in your career, you know what I mean? It's really a huge testament in your career, just seeing like, what type of social worker are you? What type of therapist are you? What type of help are you, you know, even in the darkest times, like, what are you, what is it that you're, you're willing to do in order to get it done? You know what I mean? And that's not saying like, you know, anybody's less or there's some inferiority or hierarchy in the field, but it's really just like a, for me, I'm saying uh, it's, it challenged me to make me a better, you know, better clinician, a better social worker, a better therapist, if I was able to move, move, maneuver through that, you know what I mean? Um, and, you know, and then also during 2020 is the height of, you know, George Floyd and all that stuff going on as well too, right? So, um, you know, I remember walking down, um, I remember I was in uh, Long Beach at the time, just going down the street and just like, man, it's like um, army trucks <laughs> in downtown. I'm like, what? Um, these buildings on fire people you know just it's just a lot of chaos and I'm coming from work and you know now I'm got to go to do overtime over here you know what I mean so it was, it was very it was very challenging um but I will say like that's a testament to my career like that's for sure a testament te a testament to my career you know one of the things that you were touching on that I want to come back to is how we as social workers have to kind of uh, adapt to the, mm -hmm. the times and, and what's happening, et cetera, and being current. Have you seen a shift in, in the four years that you've been out and of course, three years that you were in the program, but more specifically, the four years you've been out around mental health and addressing um, racist like practices and, and embracing more of like an anti-racist form of engagement and, and looking at policies, et cetera. Like, have you seen a shift in those, those past couple of years? Um, to be honest, not the shift that I'm seeking. <laughs> um, I, I, I haven't really seen, I'm trying to think like 
shifting as far as like the, the, the job or anything like that, not, not so much. I will say, um, I could actually, maybe I'll take that back. I, I will say there's been a lot more education around it. Um, as far as uh, like trainings, um, I remember there was a training I attended uh, that was actually pretty, pretty good. Um, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done for sure. Um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And I'm even in my studies, I'm looking, I'm like, you know, a lot of these people that, that have these developmental theories and all these uh, practices, I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, this, this isn't like, this doesn't apply for everybody. Like CBT isn't, isn't like for everybody. I remember I did a, I remember I was so, and maybe people are listening, um, you know, people that are in school, um, man, it's, it was crazy. I remember I was like, I, I, I waited like, oh, I barely did it last year. So I was waiting like three years to do the CBT training. I was like, man, I want to be CBT certified. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I remember I was doing the training and the, the person doing the training was like, yeah, um, you know, one of the coping skills, you can tell your, your clients to just go in the backyard and just, um, you know, go in, there, go in their jacuzzi. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I said, what kind of, what world do you live in where your clients, like, granted, there might be some clients that have that, but the people I work with, they don't have jacuzzi in their backyard. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, and then just the just the style of like, you know, just the whole thing about CBT and a lot of, you know, I'm not saying don't get certified or don't, don't, um, you know, expand your knowledge in that because I was told this even before I, before I decided to do it, but um, there hasn't been too many shifts in those modalities, you know what I mean? Um, the, the shit, and you know, obviously it comes down, a lot of it comes down to like billing and like, you know, what insurance accepts. Like, insurance isn't going to accept, um, you know, uh, intervention from, um, post-traumatic slave disorder you know um sometimes you got to reframe those words to get reimbursed and all that other stuff but um you know i feel like that's where again that, that that's the work that needs to be done is like understand like okay this isn't necessarily for everybody you know maybe uh, um there has to be some shift in those modalities um the awareness yeah you know and i i, I contributed a lot of that to like you know the height of the pandemic and what was going on um around George Floyd, um, but I also have my own kind of, you know, my own thoughts about that, even as far as like us amplifying George Floyd's death as opposed to the other people who passed away. You know, I'm glad things, you know, kind of came into perspective for people. But uh, when we talk about change in practices and stuff like that, a lot of people during the pandemic was still, you know, so the media was able to push, he was able to push certain, push certain things. So um, George Floyd was one of those, you know, it was, I don't feel like it was, um, higher than any other deaths that happened by the police. Right. But I'm glad like people kind of like understood what was going on, um, which, you know, attributes to like, you know, getting funding for trainings, getting funding for a lot of these different things that we have, um, in regards to mental health. Right. Um, so it opened up a lot of people's eyes. I'll say that much. Um, it opened up a lot of people's eyes. And again, that's part of, the change is like identifying what the issue is, right? So the issue could have been, or maybe was not us not, you know, having that voice or not us not having those opportunities to say like, hey, yeah, it, it affects us when we see, you know, the police killing us, you know, and this isn't anything new, you know, I'm glad for social media and the cameras on our phones, but it's nothing new. So like, that's where you're at. When you was asking the question, like, you know, have I seen a shift? Um, I haven't seen a shift per se, but I've seen like, you know, that awareness, if that makes sense. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think we've touched on that a bit in some of our previous episodes as well. Um, and what it all meant, where we're at now, and frankly, just how much further we have to go. Yeah. Uh, to really get to where we want to be. But uh, I will say, uh, yes, I, I mean, uh, although I, you know, because the George Floyd one just seemed to be the best recorded full time and, and it, it really showed the impact. But that whole movement uh, led to um, organization that I was at to Dr. Lipscomb coming to work with them because they felt they was ready to be anti-racist. Uh, I'm no longer there, so I don't know how it's going, but I mean, opening doors is opening doors. You know, not all will lead to the final result, but I think it, 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 there was some positives that came out of it for us that, um, and, and it's particularly in this social work field. Absolutely. Well, uh, any last questions, Dr. Lipscomb, for you? I mean, you know, I always got some questions, but I'm looking at the time and I know we're getting close to our time. I would just say any final things, Terrence, that you want to say to, to our listeners, any resources, any pros of wisdom? Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say, you know, understand why you're in the program, understand why you're doing what you're doing. Um, and don't let that change, you know? Uh, I feel like uh, many a times we may, especially after grad school, especially after grad school, then we're in the real world. Um, a lot of our perspectives may change as far as, um, okay, we wanna go somewhere where they pay the most, or we wanna go somewhere where we feel like, you know, whatever the situation is, but, you know, the work, there's a lot, whatever you have and whatever you're doing in the program and your uniqueness in the program and what you're trying to accomplish, what you're trying to do is needed in the field, no matter what it is. You know, you may feel like it's replicated or somebody may have been doing already, or, you know, you feel like you're maybe not that great of a person to make a difference. But the God honest truth is like you are a good enough person to make to make that difference. And through the long nights, through the studying, through the rejections, through the capstones, through all that stuff, um, your purpose is going to be fulfilled. Your purpose will be fulfilled. Well said. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today, Terrence. I, I really appreciate it. Cool. Or we appreciate it. Uh, Thank you for I, 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 yeah, I think it's important for uh, the prospective students and current students to to hear from you um, and thank you listeners for listening today and we'll see you on the next episode thank you for listening to the chill spot radio remember to subscribe to our podcast on our webpage at chillspotradio.com